0: Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and along with me are Mario Sikora and Maria Jose Munita, who are inspired (laughs) hosts. I'm I'm reading off of a whiskey bottle, people. Um, This is this is what it's come to. Um, Inspired Oki and Malty. End of his um, uh, (laughs) creativeness. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So at least you didn't call us Petey. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, audience, uh, we. Are heading to the IEA Global Conference in July. So you you
1: can have you can do a podcast like this when you just assume no
0: one's listening, right? (laughs) Exactly. Just you know, just goof around and and say dumb stuff, and you know, yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's what we do every time. Um, So yeah, we're headed to the IEA Global Conference in July, which is July twenty through the twenty third, fourth, third, twenty third. Yeah. If you can make it there, awesome. At the Park 55 Hotel in downtown San Francisco. Yes. Um, It's going to be really great. If you can't join us in person, you should join us online. And we thought we'd take a pause uh, during this busy season of prepping for that conference and do a few short episodes as it relates to what Mario and MJ are going to be talking about at the conference. Um, And that is, surprise, surprise, critical thinking. So... (laughs) Uh, Mario and MJ uh, we've kind of covered this a little bit as to why but just give, give us a quick refresh on why you chose this to be your topic yeah. So, uh,
1: Maria Jose, I'm going to ask you to answer that question. But first, I'm just going to say that, uh, that you know, it's I'm at, going
2: to answer it anyway. <laughs> but first, I'm going to answer
1: it. No, uh, but it's I, I think it's what, 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, which means no one will actually be there. Uh, so we thought we would reinforce what we're going to talk about to an empty audience uh, on a podcast that nobody listens <laughs> to. So, um, so. anyway, so go, go ahead, Maria Jose. Why did why did we pick this topic?
2: Because you wanted it. No, I think that it's... (laughs) There's so much information about the Enneagram and about everything today in the world, actually. But in the Enneagram world, there is an overload of information, theories, and new connections and new applications. And I think the challenge for today, for us is to discriminate what's true what's not true what's real what works what doesn't work. So we thought that instead of sharing all of our interesting applications which we do every year in the conference, we would we would take a step back and share some of the tools that we use for clear thinking. So we have a clear thinking model that we apply to our lives in general, but also to the enneagram. So here is how can we, as enneagram practitioners, develop more clear thinking tools in our practice. Yeah.
1: Short right. answers. We just couldn't bear to talk about the instinctual biases again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> I'm just curious when you're going to get more tired of t- well, this. Is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When will you get tired of talking about critical thinking? That's all I want to know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't count on it anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do a quick, a quick episode about an aspect of critical thinking, which is cognitive dissonance. No, listener, that isn't our two big words for the episode. Um, <laughs> there's more to come, we're sure. Yeah. There's more to come. Um, so let's, let's talk about cognitive dissonance.
1: Well, cognitive dissonance is the name for the stress. Dissonance means stress. Obviously, cognitive means mental. Um, it's the mental stress we feel, basically, either when we have two conflicting ideas, Uh, one of them contradicting something that we believe already or want to believe, or when our behaviors don't match our our values or our self-perception. So it causes stress, right? So um, this is an idea that goes back to a guy named Leon Festinger who actually studied doomsday cults, right? And uh, Festinger was embedded with a uh, cult that was predicting the end of the world. And when they, um, when the end of the world did not happen, according to their schedule, Festinger thought, oh, they're just going to wrap up and go home. And what actually happened was they doubled down on their beliefs and, you know, found this new reason to justify why it didn't happen then, but why it was going to. And then he started noticing that people's minds tend to block out inconvenient information. And this became known as the stress inconvenient information causes, became known as cognitive dissonance, and our minds react to it in a variety of ways. And, you know, so you might ask, well, so what? You know, why are we talking about this on this podcast? And one of the reasons is because it shapes the way we think about ourselves. It shapes the way we think about the world, shapes the way we think about our Enneagram types, and it shapes our Enneagram theory as well. So we think it's a really important under, idea to understand for everybody, but particularly for people who are using the Enneagram in
2: their work. And it happens all the time. Look, I'm a big fan of this concept. I hate to feel it, but I love to see it because it, I, it's like catching myself in the act. And of course you can see other people do it, and, but when you feel that stress, it is interesting to see what's causing it. So this is, as Mario was saying, this mental stress or conflict that when there's kind of new information that comes that com- contradicts what we believe or what we the idea that we have about ourselves or, or the world, we just don't know what to do with it. So for example, if, I'm, if, if just to give a, a, an enneagram related example, if I think that I'm an ape or, okay, let's say that I'm a one, and I see something that contradicts that assumption, it's really hard for me to embrace or to be curious about it because that means that I was wrong before. So there's a stress. So it's hard for me to even look at it. So, no, maybe that's because um, I did that different thing because I was... I don't know, to relax or to this or to... I will find probably ways to disregard that new information because if I do, if I do look into it, it might mean that I was wrong and i don't want to believe that I was wrong. So it's, we feel that stress and then we resolve it in different ways but that stress is the cognitive dissonance
0: what's an example a personal example from you two of a way in which you experience cognitive dissonance
2: how much time do we have
1: <laughs> yeah right yeah Let's see. Recent, I, I, the most recent I, example I, yeah.
2: well I,
1: you know okay I'll, I'll give you one that's just real simple and practical i get up in the morning and look in the mirror and that's not what I expect to see right (laughs) Uh, you know so right because in my mind I am much younger than what the mirror reflects and so I think of ways to rationalize it okay well I just woke up or you know whatever and uh, you know and as soon as I walk away from the mirror my perception of myself just goes back to the way it was right so I don't look in mirrors, uh, you know, any more than I have to, or that sort of thing. So that's just a basic life example. Um, but, you know, one of the ways in which we see this quite often in our work is it's, it's fairly common for people to come to me after an Enneagram workshop that we do for people who are, you know, already Enneagram trained. And there's always somebody who is questioning their Enneagram type right and wants to can i can i can i talk to you You yeah right so you get this question you see it coming a mile away right because you can see the person in the audience and you can see them flinching and you can see their friends looking at them thinking wait a minute you you know something's wrong here or or whatever and then they sheepishly come walking up to you and they say hey can i talk to you and so they express their doubts about uh, their type and then if it's somebody i know fairly well i'll give them my feedback or if it's somebody I don't know that well, I'll ask them questions, et cetera. And I might suggest to them, you know, well, since you asked me, here's what I see. And then it never ever fails that, especially if they've been teaching the Enneagram for a long time, they come back to me afterward and say, you know, I've been thinking about this and I really am the type that I thought, I am and they go back to believing that until the next time I see them and then they ask me again right or they just won't let it go and they ask other people et cetera. okay so there's this stress over I think I'm this and I am publicly identified as this etiogram
0: type but I don't really believe it and I don't know what to do why do you think it is that most people when they experience cognitive dissonance they retreat back to what they've known previously and, and kind of second, the second part of that question is what, how would you suggest people go about leaning into that cognitive dissonance?
2: Yeah, I think that the the problem is that we have an idea about ourselves. So we think we are good integrant professionals, for example, that we know how to type. When we see a potential mistake, it's it's hard not to say, not to think, okay, I'm good at this, and I cannot make a mistake. The other option is, I'm really bad at it. We have a hard time thinking, I'm usually good at it, <clears throat> and now I made a mistake. That we cannot reconcile. So we either, we are good or we're bad at it. And nothing is black or white it's gray and we're sometimes good at it and make mistakes so we we just don't know how to live with that the other the thing that's
1: really important to keep in mind here is that people don't do this on purpose they don't mm. do it deliberately they don't do it consciously right it is something that our brains do without us realizing that we're doing and the the psyche has all these mechanisms to enable us to get rid of information that causes us stress below the surface of our awareness, right? So confirmation bias, for example, rationalizations, evasions, forgetting, right? I mean, just the brain equips us to do this. And so this is why I used to get frustrated with people when this conversation would happen, primarily because you just wasted an hour of my time, right? Um, But...
2: And they are um, going to badmouth you now. Well, and that's what you're happens. Saying, yeah, that, you're <laughs> saying that
1: they're another <laughs> yeah. type. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what happens. Oh, he told me I'm a different type. You asked me, you know. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't seek people out to tell them they're the, you know, they've misidentified. But so, but the thing is, is that we can't see ourselves doing it. And this is why it's so dangerous, right? Because we all do it. You know, there's kind of a joke about cognitive dissonance. It's that that thing that other people do, right? Well, we all do it, okay? And we do it just because we're human and that's the way we're wired, right? To push conflicting ideas out of our minds so that we don't have
2: stress. And we want to feel good about ourselves. We want Mm -hmm. to meet the ideas and assumptions that we have about ourselves. And when there's something that contradicts that idea about ourselves, we tend to reject it. We feel stress and we tend to reject it. There's a really, really good book, Um, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. It's uh, by Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good resource. And Carol Tavris has several videos as well on YouTube, which are interesting. And she mentions a lot of examples there, but it's a way to feel at peace with ourselves primarily.
1: It's it's one of those things that's really, really important to pay attention to and to recognize that we all do it. We talked a couple episodes. I mentioned how one of our listeners um, sent me a message saying that, you know, he believes I'm mistyped and he's going to let me know what type I really am. And, you know, when I've had people reach out to me a couple of times like this before and, you know, and at first you're like a little irritated, then you're like, ah, whatever. But the, the question for me is, and, and I like the way this guy framed it, was what evidence would it require for you to see that you're mistyped, right? And that's a good question because, you know, I don't know. And so if I were mistyped and if somebody made a compelling case that I'm a different type... You know, I have to sit and reflect on, well, what is it, you know, in me that's resisting this? Or am I, you know, just experiencing cognitive dissonance here and discrediting information that I don't like, okay? Um, So it keeps us humble to recognize that we do this, that our assessments about other people, you know, uh, might, you know, be off. Okay. And, you know, and this is the other side of this, right? Like, if I, you know, have this idea, Creek, that you're a nine, and every time I see something that's actually four ish, it causes me dissonance. So, you know, these cognitive biases cause me to dismiss it, right? And hold closer to my theory because heaven forbid I
0: make a mistake in assessing somebody's Enneagram type.
1: It's really an important idea to keep us humble. In our work mm-hmm. with the enneagram,
0: and I imagine cognitive dissonance, no matter what form it takes, it's the the difficulty piece. Is it's, has to do with identity, either your how you identify yourself as a four or as a nine or whatever, or as I am the person who sees clearly, and that that, that to me that is why cognitive dissonance is so difficult um, for people to mm-hmm. work through.
1: Yeah, it's it, we like Maria Jose said we have this need to hold ourselves in high regard, right? Even if we have low self-esteem, there's still this part of us that wants to believe we're a good person. Uh, You know, Aaron Beck wrote a book called Prisoners of Hate, where he talks about, you know, how nobody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to do the bad thing today, or I'm going to do the wrong thing today. You know, he was the founder of cognitive behavioral therapy. And he said, look, even Hitler thought he was doing the right thing. Right, so we all think we're doing the right thing. We might decide we're going to get up and rebel against, you know, the norms of society or whatever. But we're doing that because we think it's right. So anything that tells us, you well, know, maybe you're wrong, is not something we want to accept.
2: I was thinking that there's like a counter example in terms of something good that we do that might not fit our idea about ourselves or something good that happens to us. Like, for example, I, I will generalize, but let's take a four who thinks that everything that happens to them, it's kind of negative. And it will be hard for a person like that to see what's good. And if they have good luck in some ways, they might resist that. And struggle with it because it doesn't fit the idea they have about themselves or their lives. So it can happen in any way. But it's just there's new information. And when there's a clash with the ideas that I have about myself or the world, um, I feel this stress. And it's hard to see it for what it is because I resist it.
0: Great. And that's it for Cognitive Dissonance. You can, of course, uh, come to the conference and hear more on this, be able to ask questions um, of Mario and MJ at the conference, or you can attend the online event. Um, But make sure to sign up ASAP as we are coming up on that date. So we will see you next week and we'll be talking more about clear thinking thanks for listening to the awareness to action enneagram podcast if you're interested in more information or talking to mario mj or myself feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awareness to all episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awareness to slash podcast